You are Locked On NBA Draft, your daily podcast on the NBA Draft, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are about 30 games into the NBA season, and if the season were to end today, what would my Rookie of the Year ballot look like? Find out coming up next. You are locked on the NBA Draft. It is a Wednesday morning, and therefore, yes, you are joined by me, Sam Ferris. I will be your host today as we discuss basketball, and specifically, the topic that I've got today is I want to talk about if the season were to end today, what would my Rookie of the Year ballot look like? And I want to do this now because we are through 30 games. So, you know, some people might say, obviously, it's too early. The season's not even quite halfway over. But if you go and look back, you'll see that, you know, through 30 games, I would argue that the last three Rookie of the Year races were already decided, at least in terms of who would win, you know, three years ago, Luca, two years ago, John Morant, and then last year, LaMelo, I think you could have picked him as well after 30 games. So that's what we're going to do today. Thank you for making the Locked On NBA Draft podcast your first listen today. And hopefully that is also the case every other day of the week. You can follow me at Draft Dummies on Twitter. I'm there constantly posting my thoughts, some stats, as well as a lot of clips from the games and the film that I'm watching both live and then when games aren't on, I'm watching other film a lot of times as well. So I like to post it there. Without further ado, though, let me get into this. We're going to, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to give my top five in order, but I'm going to count down. I'm going to start from the bottom of the list. So, yes, our podcast is the NBA Draft. So, obviously, I do watch a ton of college basketball overseas, guys. That's the main focus. But I still love to watch the rookies and the second-year guys in the NBA to, to see how my projections are doing, what can I learn, what can I implement in my process of evaluation for future years. And I think understanding the NBA – like what understanding what you're scouting for is as important as almost any element of scouting for the NBA draft. And so I do watch a lot of NBA, both live and then film on my own time as well. So, and when I do watch, I mostly watch the younger guys in the NBA. I just think to me, that's fun. I spend so much time scouting those guys. And I just feel like every time you watch guys, in their first and second year in the league, you're learning something new about them. And to me, that's a lot of the fun of this exercise. So I don't like to talk about why I'm classified necessarily to do stuff, but I would say that I probably watch, you know, outside of guys in organizations, I would say I probably watch just about as much in terms of watching these rookies as about pretty much anybody that there is. We're 30 games in, so let's go ahead and get started and count down. I will say one more thing. To me, the closest here are two through four on my ballot, and I thought number one was pretty easy for me, and I thought number five as well was pretty easy for me at this point. 
Will things change by the end of the season? Surely the order will likely change, but I think the winner is a pretty easy call for me at this point. Okay, without further ado, let us start with number five. And at five, I have the man that was drafted number one overall, the guy I had number one on my personal board, that is Cade Cunningham. He plays for probably the worst team in the NBA, the Detroit Pistons, played at Oklahoma State in college. Let's start with let's start with the raw numbers for Cade because that's kind of the the con or the negative in terms of his case on this ballot. 39% from the field, 31.7% from three, under 50% E field goal percentage. That's just not not great. And that's the reason why I can't really have him higher. I'm sure other people might have him higher on this list. I have him number five. To me, the thing watching him is, and I talked about this before, I actually talked about, I thought Cade would have a chance to break the rookie record for threes in a season, which is held, trivia question, by Donovan Mitchell. And it's not, it's certainly one of the more breakable records. It's going to be broken soon by somebody. I thought Cade could do it. And he just isn't shooting quite well enough right now at 31.7%, 39% from the field having trouble finishing at the rim too. So the scoring numbers, the efficiency, I should say, is the biggest con in terms of his case on this rookie of the year ballot. But in terms of the positive, there are many of them. For one, the Pistons became much more competitive as soon as he entered the lineup. And digging into the numbers, the Pistons are 6.2 points per 100 possessions better with Cade on the court versus off the court. That is basically the highest on the team or kind of the best on-off guy on the team, except I think Saban Lee is higher and he's not consistently in the rotation. And to me, the biggest reason or the biggest positive for him is He's got a crazy usage rate, 28%. I think pretty easily the highest of guys that, of rookies that I would consider on this ballot. Again, 28% usage. He is mostly the guy running the show for the Pistons at this point. And so the, the combination of affecting winning positively as a rookie, even though, yes, it's for a terrible team, he's been one of their better players in terms of affecting winning combined with the very heavy usage rate is kind of what distinguishes him from most guys. And to me, that is basically his case. You know, to have a winning effect on your team without shots really falling at a heavy clip, that is certainly a positive. And one other thing that Cade has always done is he's been great in the clutch. In fact, I I re-looked up this stat because Last year in college, that was the storyline with him, right? That he wouldn't take over games in the first half. He'd let the game play out. He'd let the game come to him, set up teammates. At the end of the game, he was dominant in clutch time. In fact, in crunch time in college, he scored 106 points. And the next highest guy in all of college basketball was way behind at 63 points. So you could obviously argue he played in a lot of crunch time games and therefore had more chances to score. That's probably true, but it's still pretty impressive nonetheless. And again, in the NBA, I think he's top 10 
in scoring and clutch time, that has carried over already. Another reason why I have him lower, though, than the guys ahead of him, he's played over 200 less minutes than the guy above him that I have in fourth. And that was due to just missing time at the beginning with injuries. And that has held him back. He missed training camp. He missed the start of the season. So that first two weeks for him was kind of his training camp, a very rough start for him. And and lately, over the last 10 games or so, things have really started to move in the positive direction. So I could certainly see Cade Cunningham being a guy that moves up these rankings maybe a spot or two by the end of the season. I know some people do think he could potentially still win this award, and he certainly could. He, If he takes over and really improves the efficiency and the Pistons maybe start winning a game or two, I could see him moving up, but I just can't see him really taking over that number one spot realistically unless there's injuries or, of course, uh, COVID issues hit some of these top guys. So Cade Cunningham at number five, I like his case, but frankly, I think the top four of this class, especially the top two, I would say, have been pretty strong. Again, two through four are pretty close for me. I had Cade, I wouldn't say comfortably in fifth, but I would say that I didn't debate that as much. Again, the debate for me was more two through four. Okay, before we get into the break, I'm going to give my number four guy, and that is Franz Wagner the forward for the Orlando Magic, another team that is really struggling. But, you know, we talked about how much Kate is affecting winning. Well, the same can be said for Franz Wagner, but to even a greater extent. I mean, pretty impressive for a rookie that his team is over 12 and a half points per 100 possessions better with Franz on the court. I think that's second on the team behind Cole Anthony, those guys have had the largest effect on winning to this point in the season. And at this point, you know, I want to talk about something I've learned from this past draft class because it's exemplified both by Franz, but also by another guy higher on this list where I think one of the things I've learned or at least has uh, been kind of uh, reinforced during this past draft cycle is Number one, positional size really matters. And combined with that, you know, we talk about how the NBA game is much more open, how there's much more space compared to college basketball. Well, the thing is, you kind of have to be able to dribble well to be able to take advantage of that space with the ball offensively. And so I I do think that ball handling, or at least a competent level of ball handling, combined with size, positional size are two things that are still a little undervalued. And I do think it's harder to improve ball handling compared to some other skills. Like I think it's something where you can go up a level, maybe two levels, but you can't really go from like subpar to very good. You can kind of just improve on what you have. And I don't think Franz is like a great ball handler. This almost more so applies to a guy higher up on the, on this list. But he does have a competent level of ball handling in the half court. And and that gets to the next thing here where I think I had Franz 13th on my board coming in, which I think is too low now. The reason why I was a bit lower on him was I thought his lack of assertiveness combined with his inability to really create much of his own in the half court were bigger issues than what others thought. And 
that hasn't necessarily been the case so far. And I will explain that as well as a couple more very interesting stats that I have on Franz coming up. But first, let's get to a break and hear from a couple of our sponsors. When it comes to athletes, we tend to focus on physical fitness, but there is another side to the game that is just as important, and that is mental fitness. Calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation, and they've teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind and become the champion version of yourself. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, but you don't have to be a world champion to learn how to train it. As he says, quote, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. From the sound of rain falling on leaves to bedtime sleep stories, Calm has a lot of different options that can help put me to sleep within minutes, which means I wake up ready for any challenge, unquote. So if you head to calm.com slash locked on NBA for a limited time, you will get 40% off at Calm. 40% off of a Calm premium subscription. Again, that's calm.com slash locked on NBA. All right, I said I had an interesting stat here on Franz Wagner. That is that among all rookies, he is number one in efficiency on catch and shoot jump shots an e-field goal percentage of 61.3%. And again, I said I was a little bit more worried about him as a shooter than a lot of other people were. That was one of the reasons I had him ranked slightly lower towards the bottom of the lottery as opposed to the middle of the lottery. And frankly, one of the easiest ways, I mean, this kind of just makes sense to me, one of the easiest ways to have a season that exceeds expectations is just to shoot the ball better than expected. There's obviously just a lot of variance when it comes to small sample size jump shooting. And by nature, a lot of shots are taken in games. Like he's going to take a lot of shots over the course of a season. If he just makes a couple more, shoots the ball better than expected, that is one of the easiest ways to exceed expectations. And I think for Franz, that has been the case. But also on top of that, we've seen a little bit more verve, a little more juice out of him a little bit in pick and roll, just a little bit more creation to go with the shooting than I expected. Now, I know some people are starting to believe in him as like a second option on a really good playoff team based on what we've seen. I still can't get to that point. I still view him as like a third or fourth option, but that's okay because the defense at his size is is still really good. I talked about that a lot coming out that I was very confident in his defense. In fact, one of my pre-draft takes was I actually thought that his defense was at least equal, if not better, to Scotty Barnes as a defensive prospect. And frankly, to this point, I think Franz has arguably been better on the defensive end. I would say at least it's been a wash on that end. So just a lot has gone right for Franz Wagner. The effect on winning where he's... The Magic are much better with him on the court. The jump shot is going in better. He's shown a little bit more verve creating in the half court than I expected. And then the defense has been basically what I expected, which is very good at six foot ten. Not necessarily the guy that can be the best defensive player on a good playoff team, but he certainly can be a role player that, especially if the shot continues to go in, 
where he can be your third or fourth option offensively, and then he can be uh, certainly a positive as well on the defensive side of the ball. So I would say for Franz, the bottom line is what we expected defensively is translated, but he's exceeded expectations on almost all fronts offensively, in my opinion. All right, number three here, and this might be a little bit of a surprise. He is kind of the per-minute star that is Alperin Shengun. To me, he is the guy that if I had to redo my board right now, I would move him up highest. I think I had him 14 or 15. I had him a spot or two below Franz on my board pre-draft. I would move him all the way up into the top seven now. I think, I think he's a fantastic player. I don't know how hot of a take this is because I don't really read too much about what other people say regarding the Rockets, and there aren't too many people that talk about them since they're also a bad team at this point. But I think he is the Rockets' best player right now. And maybe to kind of hedge my bets, I'll say, if you don't think he is right now, I think he certainly will be by the end of this season as he kind of irons out a few areas that he still needs to figure out, especially uh, fouling defensively would be the main one. But yeah, he is a permanent star. Legit think he can be or will be Houston's best player by season end. Again, getting the on-off numbers, the Rockets' offense is uh, is 10 points per 100 possessions better with Alpi on the floor. And again, I said he's a per-minute star. Like, all these metrics love him. Um, or he's just doing well in all of the kind of per-minute rate stuff. So I'm going to do a little rapid fire here on some of these stats because they're pretty awesome. And this is compared to other bigs in the NBA. Okay, ready? Here we go. 94th percentile in assist percentage. 94th percentile in foul drawing offensively. 97th percentile in steal percentage. Oh, and also 67th percentile in block percentage as well. He's also number one among all rookies in deflections per 36 minutes or per minute, whatever you want to call that. Deflections per minute out there. He's better than... He's even better than Herb Jones. He's better than Scotty Barnes, Franz, even Evan Mobley as well. So that is interesting. And one of the things that I've learned, because I always like to learn from my mistakes, is if you listen to my podcast and other guest appearances, you'll know I had him like eighth on my board. I had him top 10. And I just let the thoughts creep in about, you know, is... Like, he is kind of an old-school back-to-the-basket big. What kind of defensive issues is he going to have? And a lot of people fell into the trap of boxing him in as this old-school, traditional, back-to-the-basket, plotting big, whatever vocab you want to use with him. A lot of people boxed him in. And the funny thing is, it's so ironic because now that we see him, he is one of the most unique collection of skills in a player that, that we've seen recently. When you talk about the ball handling for a five, the post-up game, the footwork, the touch, the flexibility, where if you watch him like stretch before the game, he might be the most flexible player in the NBA. And that's kind of a unique thing for like a center, a guy that big. And, and he uses that on the floor as well. Combine that with the passing ability the activity rate on both ends, 
He's just an event creator on both ends. And so all of these, you know, uh, per minute rate numbers love him. He's that per minute star. And it's funny because their coach, Steven Silas, said he's like been our MVP recently. And my rebuttal is if he's your MVP, you need to play him more than 12 minutes per game or whatever he's been playing. And I must say that he's probably, so I'm a Steph Curry fan. He's always been my favorite player. Outside of Steph Curry, he's probably my second favorite player to watch in the NBA. And that matters because guys want to play with you. Guys enjoy watching you. He's, you just see his highlights. And every time you tune in, people want to watch because something fun happens every time you tune in and watch him play. And so kind of the tie break here, even though he played a lot less minutes than Franz is... I do just think he's a special player. I think he's a better player than Franz, and certainly I do buy him as a better prospect long-term than Franz Wagner. So just the fact that I think he's a better player, but also the permanent stats love him. He's just been a, a, a killer on a permanent basis. And we've seen those minutes start to go up now. We've seen him closing games, and so... I think the by the end of the season, he's going to be up closer and the minutes difference won't be as big of a deal. All right, number two, I think it's probably pretty obvious at this point since we've gone from Cade to Franz to Alpi Shangun. At number two, I have Scotty Barnes. Let's just start with the raw numbers because there are a lot of ways we can break this down, but we all know that in the end, the sixth man of the year, the rookie of the year, they often come down to kind of just the raw numbers, the points, the rebounds, the assists. And you can't ignore the raw numbers Scotty Barnes has put up. 15.6 points per game, which leads all rookies. 8.3 rebounds per game, which also leads all rookies, tied with Evan Mobley at this point. And 3.4 assists per game. He can do all those things. He's a threat along with Josh Giddy, and also frankly, Cade Cunningham, to be a triple-double threat on any given night. So, again, leads in points, tied with Mobley for the lead in rebounds among all rookies. Frankly, that goes a long way. And there is a lot more to get to in terms of his case. And I will also reveal my number one guy, which might be a little obvious at this point, but I've got a lot of uh, fun numbers on him as well coming up after this break. Bet online has you covered this holiday season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before as football continues its march through the college bowl season and the pro, the NFL football playoffs. Bet online remains your number one spot for all the sports action. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and use promo code LOCKED ON to receive your 50% welcome bonus. Bet online is the fastest and the easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. So do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing new offers that are available. Again, that's Bet Online, where the game starts. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. I talk about this every week on the show. They've been sending me more stuff, and I say this every time. I've never liked protein bars before. I haven't liked the taste, but it's the taste combined with the the fact that these are also healthy that make them so appealing to me. They've got so many flavors. Whether you're a fruit guy like me, they've got raspberry or cherry. They've also got mint brownie or double chocolate cookies and cream and everything in between. Built Bar gives you that extra fuel you need to bust down those 
those mall doors and finish that Christmas shopping that you need to get done. And Built Bars, look, it's holiday season, so uh, everyone's having treats, everyone's having snacks. Why not indulge yourself in something that tastes great but is also healthy like a Built Bar? So if you'd like an offer because you're listening to us, go to Built.com, use promo code LOCK15, and you will get a full 15% off your order again at Built.com. Okay, so Scotty Barnes revisiting his case. I've got him at number two. Just to quickly recap, I had Alpi Shengun, the permanent star, at number three. I had Franz Wagner, frankly, a guy that's exceeded expectations on all fronts to this part, on all fronts to this portion of the season. Probably been the Magic's second best, maybe third best player after Cole Anthony. And then Cade Cunningham at number five, carrying all, arguably, I would say, the heaviest load out of all these guys and still been a very positive influence on a, frankly, bad Detroit Pistons team. Okay, so revisiting the, the Scotty Barnes case. We talked about the raw numbers. Those are awesome. Um, the, the thing that's been most surprising to me, along with Franz Wagner, has been the jump shot, which has come along way more quickly than I thought. And... The form looks much better, and it's funny because uh, when we got a chance to see him work out, I posted his form from back when he was in high school versus what we saw recently, and just that improvement in the jump shot form over the case of like a year and a half was very evident. He's a guy that's going to work as hard as he can to improve every aspect of his game. That's been also apparent to this point. So the funny thing is that, you know, I thought, it's just unlikely based on what his jumper looked like at Florida State and in high school. I didn't think he would be able to be a guy that's taking jumpers off the dribble for at least a few years, if ever, frankly. I thought, yeah, he can be a passable catch-and-shoot guy, but the pull-ups, the mid-range stuff, that's just unlikely based on what I saw. Well, he's already, out of all rookies, he is second behind Bones Highland in efficiency on jumpers off the dribble. And then another stat there, shooting 44.1% from mid-range, which is tied with Paul George, pretty good there. And it ranks in the 75th percentile for all NBA wings already. So, man, talk about changing your outlook as a prospect already. I wasn't that low on him. I had him eighth on my board coming in, but just based off the improvement solely from the jump shot, especially off the dribble, He's got to be higher than that on in terms of re-ranking these guys looking forward. He was also not too far down on the spot-up efficiency in terms of jumpers as well. So, yep, the jumpers come along quicker than I anticipated. And frankly, again, revisiting the scoring too, like if you told me 15.6 points per game, I would guess that would be like his career high in terms of points per game in a season. Nope, he's doing that already as a rookie. That's really good to see, regardless of the efficiency, which frankly has been pretty good as well. The reason why I don't have him number one, though, is because I just don't think his like actual impact, again, this is more so by watching the games, I don't think his impact has been as good as the guy I have at number one. A couple numbers on that. Toronto's defense right now ranks 15th in the NBA, which 
that's fine. Like, I thought they would be better defensively than this. I liked the idea of them running all these leg-size wings, whether it's Banton or Achua, Scotty Barnes, go up and down that roster. But I do think the defense has been a little less than the sum of the parts. It's kind of like the opposite of judging a book by his cover. You know, like, uh, the cover looks better than the contents. Well, in this case, I think the cover has been a little bit better than the contents of the book. If we're talking about, you know, they've got these guys where it looks like you should be able to put them together to be an elite defense. And it just hasn't quite added up. The sum of the parts is a little less, in my opinion. And I think you could say that individually, slightly about Scotty Barnes defensively as well, where I've always been just maybe three to 5% lower compared to others on his defense. I think a lot of the pressure, the full court pressure is a little more show than actual effectiveness. And like, I'm not saying he's been a weak point, but the defense has been better with him off the floor in Toronto as well. And Toronto's defense, again, as a whole, just hasn't been as effective as I would have hoped. The passing as well, I don't know that he's been put like in the half court in a ton of situations to show off the passing. It's been good in transitions. There's been moments, but it hasn't been maybe as outstanding as I would have hoped as well. And he has been up and down. There have been lulls. There have been kind of rookie walls that he's hit. But I will say, I think his overall effectiveness, just apart from the raw numbers, has really, it took a real positive turn within the last 10 days to two weeks, I would say. And I think that's been evident if you watch the games where he just has had a bigger effect on the game. Like his defense, you can feel it more. And so that's good to see. And so I expect that to continue. And I've kind of built that into, that's why I have him at number two compared to Shangun at three and Wagner at four. I think all those guys are pretty close depending on which argument you buy more but the raw numbers are impressive and certainly the the way that he's exceeded expectations offensively again especially the jump shot off the dribble is just got me excited for him as a long-term prospect and i do value that as well kind of as a tiebreaker but without further ado we've gone through all four of the guys below him i think it's pretty obvious at this point that i have evan mobley as the best rookie to this point, I expect him to win the war the award at season's end. And the way that I would say, the way that I would describe Evan Mobley's impact is there's just levels to this, right? We'll start with many rookies are not even ready to play for a year or two, but then some rookies are ready to play, but are overall negatives over the course of a season. Then there are other guys, like most of the other four guys on this list, where they are ready to play, and they probably are actually a positive impact player overall, if you look at their impact over the course of a season. But they're not really going to change the outcome of a team season as a rookie. And then you go up a level after that, and you know maybe once a draft, there's a guy that changes the course of a franchise completely. He changes even their fortunes, even as a rookie. And Evan Mobley has been that guy. It's just crazy to think back to where the Cavs were last year, what their preseason expectations were. And you look at the changes year over year, 
yeah, they've added guys like Ricky Rubio, Ricky Rubio, Lowry Markinen, and I don't want to downplay that. But the big change is Evan Mobley coming in. I'm also a big Darius Garland guy. I think he should be an all-star. You could argue Jarrett Allen should be an all-star. But how crazy is this, that the best point differential in the Eastern Conference is the Cleveland Cavaliers. There's no way to overlook that. You can look at whatever stat you want to talk about Evan Mobley's effectiveness. I would argue that he should probably be a second team all defensive guy at this point. So one stat, defensive EPM, which you can find on the dunks and threes website, ranks him second defensively, again, in defensive EPM behind the fantastic Draymond Green, you know, ranking him as the second best defender. The Cavs defense is seven and a half points per 100 better with Evan Mobley on the floor. But then you look at it scheme-wise, and we know that the Cavs are playing much bigger than they have in the past. How are they allowed to do that? Well, it's the versatility of Mobley where we thought he would be best as a center and maybe long-term he will. But at this point, he's already one of the best switch defenders guarding out in space. And so that versatility to guard the rim, protect the rim, but also guard out in space allows them to play two bigs, allows them to play Jared Allen with Mobley and gives them that kind of vaunted double big look that is so fun and unique in today's game. So again, his versatility allows them to play that way. I think he might be one of the best switchable bigs already in the NBA. And he's taught us a lot about evaluating potential switch bigs. And on top of all this, it's just the eye test with him. I just generally do think he impacts the game more so than the other guys on this list. You feel his impact defensively. And you can just feel him raise this team. He's not going to be an all-star yet, I don't think. Again, I would potentially have him as a second-team all-defensive guy. I haven't like gone through the exercise of going through and putting together the drafts of what I think those teams would be, but he's certainly worthy of that. I think he's been that good defensively. And especially when you talk about rookies, it's just so rare for them to affect the game at a high level defensively. Almost all rookies are negatives defensively. Again, the guy below him, Scotty Barnes, we thought he, like, he's a very good defensive prospect. And I think he just doesn't really have too much of a defensive impact at this point as a rookie. And that's normal. I still think he's going to be a really good defensive player in the league. But then there's guys like Mobley that come in and change the face and the direction and the feel of an entire franchise. Like, look, I mean, nobody wanted to watch the Cavs coming into the season, and now everyone talks about them as, like, their league pass team of the year. It's no surprise. Evan Mobley is awesome. And, frankly, it's just hard to ignore, again, the Cavs' success. He plays a big part of that. To me, I value even more so than the raw numbers, which for Evan Mobley are still really solid for a rookie, that impact to me puts him over the top. Again, there's levels to this. He's at a different level to me than the other four, and I don't see anyone else catching him. So to summarize, I have Evan Mobley number one, Scotty Barnes two, Alpi Shangun three, Franz four, Cade Cunningham coming in at number five. I hope you've enjoyed going through this exercise with me. Uh, I always like talking with people on Twitter. So uh, if you're listening and if you want to discuss, tell me 
how you would rank these guys. And it'd be fun if uh, you ranked them differently than I did at this point. I always love the discussion, the differences we might have. Always love talking basketball. Again, you can follow me at Draft Dummies on Twitter. Thank you so much for making this podcast your first listen today. Hopefully that's the case every day. Because you liked us, I think you would also like another show on our network called the Locked On Bets Show. It's your daily one-stop shop for all gambling needs. You can search Locked On Bets wherever you get your podcast. It's available on all platforms.